Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas mi gente, what is good? This is Machete Mate back again after 75 years. Um, but you know how it is, we wouldn't be us if we didn't take random hiatuses. But in saying that, you could remedy that by showing your support uh, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash machete mate. It'll, it'll help me justify not having to work 80,000 hours a week, um, despite living in a worker's paradise and a social democratic paradise of Australia. Um, same with the other guys. Um, I'm sure Austin does work or something. I'm not sure. But I know T's a hard worker. I'm a hard worker. Austin does whatever the fuck. Um, but speaking of which, um, we're all here for once. Again, like, I feel like this year has been kind of like all over the place. Like, even when we were sort of on track, it was always like a, you know, different roster up on here. But we're all here. So, um, of course, I'm Leroy coming to you from the city of Wurundjeri Land down in so-called Melbourne, Australia. Um, we got Austin, as I mentioned. What's good, man? What's up? What's up? Oh, shit. My mic's not in. Fuck. You all right? Yeah, keep going. Just keep going. Yeah, keep cool. Going. So now we got that fixed up. Austin just introduced himself. He just plugged in his mic. So now we're on track. And of course, T, what's good, man? This is your God, brother. Are we, on tr- are we on track? Fuck. The, ad- um, the, ad- doing- the adults are on track. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm doing good, chilling. Um... The only weird thing that happened to me was uh, yesterday I got stung by a wasp on my ear in the middle of a transaction at work, what? which made no sense. Yeah, yeah. I think the wasp was kind Seems of Seems anti-worker. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I think the wasp was engaging in righteous environmentalist action because Virginia has been uh, also had a little bit of those that smoke from those Canadian wildfires. Yeah. Not as bad as a lot of folks up north. But there were points yesterday we were in the you know the purple rating or whatever. Um, so I think honestly the the wasp was a little agitated. So you know what, it is what it is. The it, they were mad. They want to take it out on the first human they could see. But other than that, chilling, settled into the new place. Everybody here is doing good too. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's fair enough on, on Comrade Wasp. But like, you know what's funny? With the wildfires are really bad. So shout out to all the homies affected by the wildfires in, in the Northeast and everywhere. Um, you'll see people online posting like, oh, it's so wild that like the fires are in Canada and we feel it here in the U S like, as if like, there's like, Oh, like, you know what I mean? As if these borders are real, like it's people it's just blowing people's minds all the way in a different country and we can feel it. Like, I mean, it's a common, it's a common phenomenon for, um, Sahara desert, like dust. It's 115 <laughs> degrees in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico because of the Sahara sands. Yeah. Yeah. The Sahara sands come by, they hit the Caribbean and, and the Southern United States yeah. often. Um, yeah. And I remember, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'll, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. I was, I was much, much older when I learned that fact and it blew my mind when I heard about it. But when you think about it for a few minutes, like it just, it kind of makes sense, you know, wind flows and all that good stuff. Um, 
I, what I found really kind of just bizarre was uh, the reaction of some people in media to, you know, kind of uh, sort of dismiss the concerns of people in, you know, up north uh, yeah. about it. Like, oh, it's not bad as the, you know, wildfires out on the West Coast. Of course, you know, the good comrades out in the West, you know, nothing but sympathy and yeah. with great tips on, on how to like kind of endure and deal with, uh, you know, not seeing the sun, you know, there was a particular moment yesterday, I was just kind of standing, you know, in my job, like looking out the window, the sky just had this kind of like, yeah. it looked dead is what it did. It, it, it was gray in, in kind of a, you know, there's the that kind of nice gray that, you know, a storm, a nice storm is going to come through. Yeah. But this was that kind of like, it was a very sickly gray, not, yeah. you know, a, a, a very dark harbinger of, of our future and truly our reality, our present. Yeah. You remember a few years ago when we had pretty bad wildfires down here, I remember yeah. they were sort of out, they were kind of in country Victoria, country New South Wales. So they weren't necessarily, you know, close to me. Like they weren't a close drive necessarily, but I would look outside and like the sky was just glowing red all day. It was one of the, it's, it, it's one of these, it was one of those like kind of macabre, like, beautiful yeah. things you know what i mean like right. like this is like you say a harbinger of like the collapse of our environment of our planet but like it's just there's a beauty to it um contradiction it's the beauty of the cemetery is what yeah. it is yeah God. easy but um speaking of natural disasters and everything we had an earthquake here a couple of weeks ago no yeah, shit. I remember I mentioned to you guys in, in the chat, whatever. I don't know if I, I've, if I talked to it about it, but like it was wild because, you know, um, as of as one of the homies in the Discord brought up, like he didn't realize that we were on a fault line. Like we're not necessarily on a fault line, but like obviously we're in Australia. So we're like on the ring of fire kind of thing. And it was I, only like a it was only like a 3.8. But because the actual epicenter was literally like maybe five, 10 minutes away from me, it felt really strong. Like we didn't have any structural damage or anything. Um, again, not compared to anything that the homies on the West Coast US feel, like the homies in Japan or whatever. But it was still a very bizarre feeling because it was late at night. It must have been like 11 p.m. and I had work early the next day. So I was in bed asleep. And then all of a sudden, I, I feel what I thought was like a massive like car crash. But then it sort of kept going. So I'm like, oh, this is a fucking earthquake. And then I just fell back asleep. Uh but yeah, it was apparently the strongest earthquake in like a hundred years in, in Melbourne or whatever. Um, and it's funny because I work with this um, uh, one of my workmates. She's she's from Greece, and um, I asked her, I'm like, "Oh, did you feel the earthquake last night?" And she almost dismissed it. Goes, ah, "You mean the tickle?" Because she's Greek, like she has it all the time. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, that was really, really, really funny. Anyway, Austin, what's good with you, bro? Echoing a lot of what's already been said. It's good to be back. It's been far too long. So much has happened in our personal lives in the last couple months, right? So much has happened in the news in Latin America in the last couple months, and I'm happy to to go over just, I mean, really, we're only just going to be able to scratch the surface of some of the things that have been going on in Latin America today, so that's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, mostly just happy to be back, and I just get, got back from vacation last week. Wow, that was so fun and exciting. I was in Las Vegas for a week. Yep. Good time there. Did come back a little bit sick, so that's unfortunate. Uh, but I'm getting over that sickness, so if you hear a little bit of raspiness in my voice, that would be why. Um, nah, but like I said, mostly just happy to be here and happy that you lived through that earthquake, Leroy. That makes me happy, right? <laughs> and uh, good to hear, T, that you're having some like 
it appears some existential uh, moments looking up at the sky lately. So that's cool. Always, man. Always. But like Austin, like right before we press record, you were talking about like what it'd be like when you're our age, when you're older. <laughs> like it's just a series of existential like moments of dread. Yeah, I was so, I was busting Leroy's balls before you recorded. I said I dread the day when I wake up and go, ah, I'm 35 or 36 or however the fuck old both you two old fucks are, you old bearded fucks. Yeah. I treasure my youth. You know, it is what it is. There's going to come a moment where you get a pair of Crocs like I did for my lovely partner and it's going to change your life and you're going to realize that you're all about the Crocs lifestyle. Oh my God. Yo, you know what's wild to me? Because like obviously growing up in Florida, we used to roast all the tourists because they would always come in Crocs. They would get like the um, the Disney um, gibbets and all that stuff. But like you said, you get to a point where it's just like, it's almost like it just descends from heaven like manna. And like you, you put it on, and it's like this is life changing. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. It's like, it's like the jeans, the the jeans and the sneakers that every Latino man oh suddenly goodness. acquires once they reach like uh, like forty or fifty. It's the uniform that gets that just yeah. kind of appears out of nowhere. Yeah, and yeah, if yeah. you know, you know. Uh, yo, did you? I learned the other day. You know, Crocs, the company. They also yeah. manufacture lighters. Is that a thing that people knew and I was just dumb and didn't know till now? Or is this new information no. for you guys too? They make no, lighters. I didn't know that. Crocs lighters. Like you just buy it at the fucking store. And, you know, in case anybody's confused, yes, we are now sponsored by Crocs, our generous uh, oh, Patreon my goodness. provider. <laughs> so, like and, so like and subscribe, put in on promo code um, MYM uh, um, for a 20% off your first purchase. on. Nah. Anyway, but Crocs, if you're listening, please, I will, I will take all your Crocs. I'm a size ten. Let's go. Um, okay. Anyway, let's just stop bullshitting. And sort of get into it. So, so much has happened in the region that we we're going to be scratching the surface, just like uh, Austin mentioned in the opening. Um, but we have sort of three stories we want to touch on that we're going to use as a sort of a guide because we're going to try to make this a bit of more of an open conversation. Um, again, just because we haven't been here in a while, and just so we give more of a macro sort of perspective on everything because everything that we're going to be talking about sort of flows together, but such is the region. So we're going to touch on a Supreme court case uh, relating to Puerto Rico and the colonial existence that it, that it exists under that came down last month. I'm going to touch on the, some of the bullshit done in Chile, the disappointing bullshit done in Chile. Um, but we'll probably start off the conversation in Ecuador. I think, I feel like over the last couple of years, Ecuador has been sort of a like low key, like bread and butter, like situation for us here, like a series of stories, starting with the election of Lasso and everything that's been going on with that. Um, but speaking of which, I think as we last spoke about Austin, you had the conversation with um, the with uh, with 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 a friend of the show. He was talking about Ecuador and a little bit about Argentina, about all the things that are going down there. So just a bit of a recap. Um, all these corruption charges, all these um, things were happening in Ecuador relating to Lasso and like his cronies. Um, there were pro- impeachment proceedings, so basically proceedings to bring charges of impeachment against Lasso. Um, in the midst of that, right when on the verge of those dropping, Lasso decided to exercise a provision in the Ecuadorian constitution to basically dissolve Congress, um, thus um, limiting the power of the legislature to actually bring those charges against him one of the provisions is that he will have to 
call also call early elections, which he's fine with. You know what I mean? Like he even said it because he's not going to run. Um, he doesn't want to run. He's not going to stop anyone from running. Um, but in doing so, he's now ruling by decree, essentially. So he, there's no real checks and balances on his power. Uh, speaking of which, apparently when he dissolved Congress, he was in communication directly with the military, not the defense minister, with the actual military like top brass and mobilized them to basically secure off the parliament building, the Congress building or whatever they refer to it. Um, they also cut off all communications within the building. So he cut off like electricity, phone lines, internet access, all that. So nothing can get in or out and also fired anybody working to service the building. So like janitors and shit like that. So that there's no, you know, just to control the entire situation. So this is a, you want Latin American authoritarianism and things that happen. This is, this is, this is that right. Um, bypassing all mechanisms to, you know, try to quote unquote, do the right thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so he's been ruling by decree. He's using the opportunity to basically move to privatize certain industries, try to kind of jam them in a particular big one is the oil industry, which has always been a big sort of, um, wedge point in Ecuador. Um, because obviously we know the effects of the oil industry, the fossil fuel industries, um, globally. And we also have to sort of, um, juxtapose that with the fact that like they have the concept of when we read enshrined in their constitution so that right there's you know an inherent contradiction in their society um let's not also forget that um recently in the midterm election so that's um uh fucking um rafael correa i can't believe i blanked on his name um the homie rafael correa one of our one of our um one of our uncles here that's his party um they sort of you know wiped out the uh, midterm election so it's positive at least on paper but if you look at our conversation that um austin had with 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 the homie um he mentions that like that on paper that's great but obviously if the society if the sort of the ultra capitalist you know the oppressive society is still in place there's not much they can do to actually exercise that power or whatever power they have on on paper right um so we'll see what happens the election is slated for August 20th, um, which is sort of has its positive and negatives. Positives in that, like, this could be a, a chance for Revolución Ciudadana to actually sort of consolidate their power towards the presidency. Um, because, you know, a lot of that's very common within parliamentary systems. Like, if the prime minister or the ruling party feels like their support is slipping, they'll just, you know, call elections to sort of shore up their support to, like, kind of guarantee you know, the, you know, the, the next sort of administration. Um, but also like th this gives lots an opportunity to sort of jam through all this other bullshit. You know what I mean? Things like, um, no doubt he'll probably proclaim, like he'll give extra powers to the police and military to crack down on domestic terrorism. Right. Which means cracking down on indigenous folks, cracking down on any perceived enemy, any, you know, quote unquote Marxist Leninist or whatever the bullshit. We know how it goes in, in Latin America. Um and one other thing that's really, really interesting that um goes without saying, um, from the show Marco Rubio r during the impeachment proceedings was actually down in Ecuador showing his support and, you know, patting his old friend on the back. Um, which is really interesting because, you know, Lasso is a multi-millionaire, right? He's a rich banker guy who also holds vast wealth in the US. Um he holds mass real estate um holdings in Florida. So 
that's Marco Rubio basically going down, patting his friend on the back, saying, you know, we got you, you know, if you need a place to go, you know, you're going to come to the capital of Latin America. We'll protect you here in Miami or Orlando or wherever he has his um, real estate holdings and wealth. Um, so what, what do what, what, what do you guys, what is your y'all's take on everything that's going down? Wow. There's so many different things I'd love to say. First of all, we're rewinding like six minutes. That was such a good segue, Leroy, from our intros into the discussion topic. So <laughs> round of applause for Leroy. Um, the second thing. Oh, wow. So many different things I'd love to say to all of that. You did a very good job there, Leroy, of kind of summarizing where the situation currently stands. Um, oh, my goodness. I still wonder. So when Lasso first did the announced the cross death, right, the dissolving of the Congress, that is, um, yeah. I was surprised. I remember expressing some surprise that he would actually do that. Um, and I was exchanging messages with Julian at the time as well, or our homie, who was also surprised. Julian kind of said on the podcast that he wasn't expecting Lasso to do this precisely because, like, as as you touched upon, the RSC, Revolución Ciudadana, mm-hmm. right? They cleaned house in the midterm elections just a couple months ago, right? So, like... <laughs> you would think that the right wing in Lasso or that the fucking U.S. ambassador would say to Lasso, hey, take the fucking impeachment. Your vice president's going to govern for the next two years. We can't let these fucking Coriistas come back to power because like they could come back to power <laughs> like hmm. with I mean, once again, they just whipped ass in the midterms a couple months ago. Right. Um, with that said, you know, I think back to t- uh, the 2021 election. Right which was also supposed to be a layup. Ecuador on paper is all, should always be a layup for the left. Um, and we saw how that went, right? We covered that election extensively. I think the optimistic take on these upcoming elections is precisely what I mentioned earlier, which is the RC whipped so much ass in the midterms just a couple months ago that, I mean, why wouldn't they whip ass again, right? Um, Lasso's so fucking unpopular, the uh, right wing has been completely delegitimized. Um, all that points to good signs for the RC. Um, Pachakutik, right? They elected a more RC, or let me say, Correista sympathetic president of the party just like a month ago, too. Guillermo Churichumbi, right? Um, in fact, I think I saw Pachakutik is considering not even standing an actual candidate in this election. So, like, so yeah, so like that's that's it, all those sorts of signs point to like. Uh, what you would expect to be a, 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 a good election for the RC, for the Coriuses. However, however, hold on. I'm going to yield the floor here in a moment. However, um, Yaku Perez is still running on a third party line, right? That's a right. third part, a third party coalition, which is not just his own party, but also has the Ecuadorian socialist party. It has some of the other, some other leftist parties attached to it as well. So I think, <laughs> I mean, the right wing is so delegitimized. Like I really don't rule out the, if Arouse tries to seek the nomination again, which I've, I've heard rumblings that that's very possible, unless it's been already announced, I don't fucking know, right? Like, um, whoever the fuck the RC candidate is could very well enter a runoff with Yaku, like a straight up, up or down against Yaku, which like, damn, are we really going to have this happen? Right? So I, ah, it's so difficult. It's so complicated, right? I don't know. There's, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that because I've, because there's so many other different things I could say, but I'll pass it off to you, Leroy. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up that house because that's exactly where I was going. Because um, soon after, you know, Lasso dissolved uh, the legislature, um, he did an interview on Democracy Now!, where he was actually talking about 
you know, next step forward. Um, and he was asked by Amy Goodman was also what's, you know, who's going to run with this and that, whatever. And he's like, look, um, it doesn't matter if my name comes up or somebody else's name. What we need to be focusing on now is building broad coalitions. Um, and he brought up the fact that like they, in the last election, they lost because they didn't have the support of like what he called like the, the, the Highland demographic. So basically indigenous folks out in the Highlands, right? Because what, what, like that's, that's our main focus right now. Cause you know, we, we, we have our sort of um, coalition and our demographics that are going to vote for us no matter what. We need to convince the folks out in the, in the Highlands that, you know, you know, we need to move in a more progressive um, uh, direction. Um, so that was really positive hearing from him, which is exactly what happened, right? Like, like you say, awesome. Like, I, I like that you brought it up that this should be, Ecuador should always be a layup for the left, right? Because like I said at the top, they have, you know, when we read in, in their freaking uh, constitution, they have all these, you know, ostensibly leftist like things in their society built into their culture that for a right-wing government to come in to win is, you know, demonstrates a great failure of, you know, these movements, at least electorally. Yeah, so many different things I love to say that. So first of all, yo, were his literal words Highland demographic? Was it actually the phrase he used? It was something with Highland uh, folks, Highland demographic, people in the Highlands yeah, or just, something like that. I just have to say, this guy knows his audience. <laughs> he knows he is not talking to people who are educated on Ecuadorian demographics. So anyways, yo, so it, 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 just unpacking a little bit more the concept of you know Ecuador being a layup, right? I think it's important to, to dige- dissect this further, right? There is a reason, at least speaking for myself, there is a reason I celebrated so much when we saw victories in Peru and Colombia, precisely yeah. because they're not layups, right? Precisely because these are places where the far right takes hold and fucking pushes shit uh, around, right? So to see people not from not only not from the far right, but either from the left or sympathetic from the left win in Peru or Colombia – that's a big fucking deal. When I look at Ecuador, that's one of ours, right? That's one of the countries in our camp, right? When the right wins in Ecuador, they go, oh, at least we kept the left out, right? Not thinking they can actually do things. When the left wins in Ecuador, you can see systemic change happen, right? And it's not like, once again, it's not like Peru or Colombia where, okay, there's a whole fuckload of like coalition building and grappling with the legislature and all the shit that has to happen. That's not to say change will come easy in Ecuador. Obviously not. Once again, it's all relative. Um, I feel so... To get a bit macro here, boys, I feel so (laughs) conflicted about a lot of things right now when I think about Latin American politics. When I I bring up Ecuador within the context of Peru and Colombia. I remember just two years ago when we were on this podcast covering the election of Ecuador. I remember feeling after even after Arouse lost and things were still dim oh my god bolsonaro was in power all the right wings everywhere right i remember feeling optimistic regardless i remember thinking we're gonna get ecuador back i have no doubts in my mind we're gonna get ecuador back i feel like there was a lot to be optimistic about at the time now i feel differently i feel differently like i feel like i'm optimistic that we can quote unquote get Ecuador back. But what after that, right? Like what is some shit going to happen in Ecuador? Like what's happened in Peru, right? 
You guys saw the news about Petro in Colombia just this week, yeah. right? How there's forces assembling for a quote-unquote soft coup. Mm. More and more, especially for me in the last couple of years, and I know we've talked about this extensively, dude, liberal democracy as a concept has just been totally delegitimized in my eyes. Yeah. Straight yeah. up, right? So I, I see, okay, RC, maybe they can get together a coalition and, and reach out to the highlands, right? And get power. And God, that would be great, right? And I, like, if you ask me right now, I think RC will win. I think they will get power back. But uh, wh- what the fuck is the long-term vision, right? What the fuck's the long-term vision? I, I mean, it's great. Churu Tumbi winning in Pachacunic. Isa is in Konae, right? Mm. But I, I, once again, I, I struggle. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way or feel differently. Please, I'd love somebody to sprinkle some optimism for me, right? But like, I just don't feel as optimistic when I think about the outlook of electoral politics anywhere as I did two years ago. That sent you, yeah, go ahead. Not like I'm the worst person to ask because I'm probably the most pessimistic person here. But the one thing that does give me optimism to your point is, and I think one of the themes of our show here is, you know, the limits of liberal democracy, right? But one of the things that gives me hope when it comes to talking about Andean people is that historically, the Andean people, the indigenous people of that area, of that region, are some of the most militant people in the world. You know what I mean? Despite who's president in Ecuador, the indigenous folks have always mobilized in the streets to demand what they what they want. In Peru, same thing. In Bolivia, same thing. So that's the one thing that gives me hope. But obviously, on the other side, you have to sort of again juxtapose that with what Lasso's doing right now, like basically decreeing extra you know protections to the military and the police and extra rights to protect against quote-unquote you know domestic terrorism and stuff like that which will open up the possibility for an open slaughter um but i mean i think i i, I, I kind of share your your your, your the same thing you're saying, Austin, but at the same time, like, I want to be optimistic just because of the history of Ecuador. I'm hoping that the election of Lasso was an aberration in, like, the line of, like, you know, of, 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 of Ecuadorian society. I think the election of Lasso was an aberration, but at the same time, I think there's a reason that was even able to happen in the first place, how things, how, like, I mean, I remember... For all us, you know, baby pink titers out there, any of us uh, post-Donald Trump communists or post-Donald Trump leftists, of which there are many of which I have met, right? I remember 10 years ago when Rafael Correa was president, right? And I remember, furthermore, I remember when Rafael Correa was the most popular incumbent in the world. I remember when his approval rating was in the 80%, and it was a big news story, the most popular politician in Latin America. I remember that. Right. Yeah. And look what the fuck happened. Right. Yeah. Look what the fuck happened. His vice president in jail. Right. Later on, his other vice president betraying him. Right. Look what the fuck happened. Right. I look at Peru. Look what the fuck happened. I look at Chile. Oh, you love that segue, boys. Look what oh. the fuck happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like I th- but that's why I tie this all together, man. Like, what the fuck? I and yeah. Diego, our Chilean correspondent, he, he said it plenty of times. They should have stayed in the fucking streets. When Boric and every other political leader signed the deal to get out of the streets, that's when they fucked up. Yeah. But at the same time, like, what were the people supposed to do? Burn down the presidential palace? Like, I I don't know. Well, I'm going to say yes to that question. Um, yeah, yes, same. they were. They could, should have 
you know, far be it for me to say what people should or shouldn't do, but burning down the presidential palace would have been dope and cool and strong support uh, for that. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. And, you know, Diego is echoing the kind of the word the kind of word on the street attitude of a lot of people who were involved in those uh, militant protests and demonstrations and occupations. A lot of them don't are they, they're deeply pessimistic of the, you know, political system of Chile as it is, as it stands, and didn't really want to go the path of reform, right? Um, I'm not commenting on that, which way is better, or which way is worse. I think they've been vindicated. Uh, but, just, <laughs> but just describing, you know, that what seems to be the, the word, you know, the, the attitude on the street, which is, you know, this was a giant waste of time. Not the uprisings, but going the route of uh, the political system, a political, a democratic road, as shall we say. Juxtaposing this a little bit, right? Like, I I remember just two years ago, I would say, oh my goodness, the Chileans are a model to follow. They took to the streets, and what was their demand? They had a clear demand, new constitution, new constitution. When I was in Lima, Peru, and with Peru Libre, you know what the fuck they were saying? They were saying new constitution right? Same demand, new constitution, a clear, concise demand, new constitution. Look where the fuck they are now, right? To me, like, and I, once again, I juxtapose this to, to uh, an example I constantly mention, right? And there's a common theme here that I'm going to bring it up to, right? An example I constantly mention, which is the most cautionary of tales, El Salvador, guys, right? That's another one that I remember years ago, I used to champion as one of the most one of the most shining models, right? These people put the FMLN, they put their arms down and won power electorally. How beautiful, right? I remember when the FARC was first negotiating their most recent peace deal in 2016 saying, ah, this is good. They can go the way of the FMLN. Look at the model of El Salvador and look what the fuck happened, right? Are we going to be here in two years time? saying, wow, the ELN really fucked up when they put their arms down in Colombia. That coup against Petro only made it worse for all of them. Are we going to be saying that in two years' time? Can we rule that out? Anyways, yeah. The great the great irony uh, in Chile is that the party that has won, uh, that won the most votes and most seats in their new constitutional council is the party that opposes or has has opposed writing a new constitution this whole time. Uh, it is the Chilean Republican Party. And they call themselves Republican Party in conscious imitation of the U.S. Republican Party, just to give you an idea of where what their politics are. Yeah, and just on that note, they are... They, I don't know if explicit is the right word. I mean, they're explicit, uh, you know, you know Pinocheistas, they won't necessarily come on and say, oh, we're fascists, but they're implicitly fascists. And they're looking at the Republican Party in the U.S. saying, yep, that's what we're going to model ourselves after them. So I'm not calling the Republican Party of the U.S. fascists. People who like them are calling them fascists. So I don't know. Um, but just to, just to rewind a little bit, because it's now becoming the um, Armed Struggle Support Podcast um, when you talk about El Salvador, when they were putting down their guns, it reminds me of um, what happened to Gaddafi, right? He made a conscious decision, you know, we're going to give up all our arms, we're going to disarm, you know, we're going to play ball, whatever, and they still killed him for it. You know what I mean? Um, and it's like to quote um, uh, Maurice Bishop as well. 
um, when he was talking about Allende, he Allende went to the democratic route, stood for elections, won legitimately, made coalitions, and they still killed him for it. So um, what I'm trying to say here is arm struggle is not um, off the table. Oh, damn. Oh, bro. man. Come goodness on, gracious. Man. Langley's like an hour north, man. Chill. <laughs> I'm in Australia, though, so I'm good. Yeah, well, what the fuck? Uh, still, you, they got the fucking MI6 or whatever the fuck. Still, still one of the five eyes, bro. Yeah, still one great. of the. Australia's <laughs> one of the five eyes. Yeah. Who are the other four? Uh, that would be United. If I remember correctly, it's the United States, Canada, Canada Britain, UK. I believe Britain, South Africa, Australia. And maybe New Zealand, maybe. New Zealand, yeah, probably. If I remember correctly. Basically, they all. Basically, what that means is that all of their surveillance systems and security states are heavily integrated with one another. Oh yeah. Um, they spy on the entire world. The Five Eyes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I I would push just to I guess play the game. I'd push back. I would say that they they uh, killed Allende precisely because he took the democratic road. You know, they, they demonstrated no. that. And you can uh, have Marxists elected to office. Now, um, I think that, you know, the example of that is probably what, you know, made Washington, D.C. so, you know, mortified at the time. Uh, the fact that it wasn't just people doing, you know, the going the way of Cuba, but that you could actually run on these on, the, on that kind of politics and, and win in a, in a democratic free election. Yeah, go ahead, Leroy. Yeah, I was just gonna jump in, like just to that point. Like, there's that famous Kissinger vote that, um, basically, he was saying something to the effect that, like, um, I'm not gonna allow Chileans to ruin the democracy by electing a Marxist or like right. s- some something like that. Like, I don't know. Well, he turned like a hundred like last week, so unbelievable. Yikes. Bro. Anyways, um, <laughs> but, but Pat um, Robertson's dead, so. Yes, one of Virginia's worst people to ever exist. So that's cool. Um, what that's a lot. Was I gonna yeah. What the fuck was I going to say? Uh, so something I like to say as well in these recent years, right? The Cuban Revolution continues to age like a fine wine. You know what I'm also going to say now as well, too, that I don't think I've said enough of? Venezuela is beginning to age like a fine wine. Yeah, I said it. Oh, what the fuck do I mean by that? What the fuck do I mean by that? Well, to me, the common denominator in a lot of these these experiments that have gone awry in these different countries, a lack of a connection to their bases, right? The biggest reason Venezuela and Bolivia as well continue to persist and be able to build the projects that they've started, connection to their bases, connection to their bases. In many ways, one might even argue, Pesuve and Mas, respectively, have at times remained in power in spite of themselves. Their deep connection to their bases is what has kept them in power. The project there's a there's a word for that. Starts with a D and ends with democracy. Yes, yeah, honestly, yes. Like, because here's the thing: I saw it firsthand in Venezuela, guys. Right, like plenty of the people in the communes, they were not supportive of Maduro or the government, but they stayed with Pasuve. They stayed with Pasuve, right? They still supported Pasuve, knowing that these are the people keeping our projects alive. Right, these are the people that gave our projects life force. Right, it's that connection to the bases which has kept Pasuve in power. The communes, man, the fucking communes. That's well, what's inter- please. Well, what's interesting too is that I mean, the the base that 
they've let you know the Chilean you know electoral left has seemingly lost touch with is a base that wanted to burn the presidential palace. Yeah. Right. So you know I I you know you saw that you know Boric is very much a a a Democrat with a small D. Um, if you want to be less charitable, he's a Democrat with a big D. But um, definitely well, not. Uh, <laughs> but um, love. You know he. Now nah, he totally fucked up my train of thought there. But he said something along the lines about of that, you know, oh, the the Chilean government. You know we will respect the decisions made by this you know far right constitutional convention. And you know my thought when I read that was why yeah. <laughs> why yeah. why bother? Yeah. just yeah you know <laughs> if 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 you know like the Republican Party of Chile opposed from the beginning as I said earlier a new constitution from the beginning from the jump right they have said their spokespeople have said that they are taking the existing constitution as their guide right so what the new constitution that this part that we can expect out of this constitutional convention, which I want to add was much smaller than mm. the previous constitutional uh, convention. This is a council now. It's much smaller. Um, they didn't have, uh, there was less representation for indigenous people, for the Mapuche, for one, in this constitutional convention. So it's less democratic, this constitutional connection, dominated by a party that is going to take the Pinochet legal regime as their guide. And I can only imagine the kind of de- deranged ass shit that they're going to try to push forward, right? And with the Chilean media fully lockstep behind, you know, basically standing athwart history, saying no, I fully expect a fucking shit rag of a document, and I fully expect it to, if it doesn't win, be very close. You know, all things being equal, if current trends hold. Yeah, I mean, we started off by talking about the um, fires up in Canada and how it was affecting the U.S., right, and all these things. One thing that we can't forget is that Chile, in the current Pinochet constitution, the water, the idea of water is privatized. You know what I mean? Like, you're talking about Chile, one of the most alpine regions in the world, right? Snow-capped mountains, the Andes, whatever, rivers, the next to the sea, all this stuff. And they're running out of clean water because it's so privatized, right? Like their agricultural industry is collapsing because water has been privatized and they can't get the water. And then we could talk about agribusiness and soy and all that stuff as well. But like, this is what these people want to perpetuate because at the end of the day, that means more dollars for their homies. You know what I mean? They could they control this. And Chile does have one of the driest regions, if not the driest region in the world. The other kind of desert, like, yeah in a good season, you know, in a good climate. So, you know, climate change is only going to accelerate and expand that territory. Um, I, um, it, it's, it's genuinely fascinating to, to imagine what could have been with Chile, you know, of course, you know, the, the question is, is no one, you know, what do you do after you burn the presidential palace? Right. Um, because that seems to be the desire. Um, and now I am recalling the major point I want to bring up, which is that, Turnout was higher for this one. Turnout was higher. Now, it is legally required now to vote, okay? Turnout was higher in this vote for the Constitutional Council than in the previous one. The previous one, remember, had an overwhelming dominance uh, by left-wing by the left-wing coalition, right? This one has overwhelming dominance by the far right to the point that they are now, they now 
are veto proof, right? Yeah, so before it it would take two thirds of of the body to add an amendment, you know, to do to introduce changes, right? Which is a very high, uh, a very kind of hard standard to reach. One I generally agree with, honestly. Uh, it, it does make it more democratic. Um, this one has a less; it's three fifths because of that new, you know, standard for this constitutional council, right? Um, the far right has veto proof, has a veto proof majority. So they can literally write whatever they fucking want, anything. Yeah. If they want to write in the constitution that it is illegal to be, to vote for anybody but our party, they theoretically could do that. You know, will they? Probably not, but they have ample opportunity to just fucking run wild with it. Just quickly for, um, uh, the the defer to Austin. Like on that note, though, like in the Pinochet Constitution, they banned any political parties that based their ideology on class struggle. So they didn't say, "Oh, we're banning the Communist Party or the Socialist Party." It goes, "If your party's about class struggle, like basically you cannot exist." So they can still do that. You know what I mean? Which made it broad enough that they could ban like any party, exactly. any exactly. any remotely left of center party. They are with were in their constitutional authority to. To flat out ban. Yeah. Yo, and this is what Diego keeps talking about, that Boric is paving the way for the, the far right or whatever. But like, this is also why, you know, getting back to the failures of liberal democracy, this is a case study in why liberal democracy is, uh, leads to shit like this, right? A left wing movement gets elected to power, can only attempt to, you know, deliver on half measures, which ruptures their connection to the bases. Delegitimizes them in the eyes of the general public and ensures for far right blowback. Right when you're a left wing movement trying to engage in liberal democracy, you inevitably engage in half measures. Inevitably, to, to honestly, like Venezuela for me is like the only outlier here. Right, and dare I say it's just because of the abilities of El Comandante. Right. I think Bolivia is a specific is a bit of a different example, right? Their historical moment, right, in plurinationalism and their emergence of the indigenous peoples as an organized political force in Bolivia. But I, I like I, I I don't like things are just going to get worse in Chile, and I, you know I think back to once again the interview with Julian. What I mean, what are we seeing cast in Chile and Millet in fucking Argentina? That's really bad, guys. Like, oh my fucking god! Like once again, I I. The only thing, the only, uh, you want to know what's the only level of optimism I can drive from all of this is that these guys are going to be so fucking bad. Let's just hope the response that they draw. Exactly. Accelerationism. That's the only positive or optimistic line I can attempt to draw from all of this. That's wild. No, but just on the Argentina note, I saw a recent um, poll result showing that Fernando de Todos is still technically in the lead ahead of like primary but just and Malay is a sort of distant third and by distant like five or six points behind like the others so that's another lecture that's another situation that we need to look at because again another uh, dare i say failings of the left there or yeah i'll say feelings of the left to sort of coalesce like their their, their power within i guess the system obviously Macri made it impossible for anything going forward but it it is what it is I mean, governing is hard, right? You know, government's going to government. <laughs> right, right. Government's going to government. And I guess uh, systems are going to system, right? So oh if you have to, 
the question that that has to be answered from both the parliamentary and uh, non-parliamentary left is this: you know, the parliamentary left, how do you govern in the face of a economic system that's against you, a media apparatus that's against you, international capital is against you, the United States Empire is against you, or you know, whichever big power is nearby, as the case may be. What do you do first, right? Now, it's very easy for us to kind of like, kind of, you know, Monday quarterback on, you know, oh, well, board should have done this or they should have done that. It seems, I will say this, it seems pretty clear that being able to withstand the media onslaught is so crucial. I'll rem- I remember Austin specifically a few years ago uh, when uh, Jeremy Corbyn in England, uh, his last run for prime minister, or, you know, the, la- the last English election where uh, he was going to be he would have been prime minister, but you, you came back with one thought, which was the, just the lack was that the media had really poisoned the atmosphere to the point that like people liked the platform, but they didn't like him. And because of that, it allowed, which is the, so bizarre. It very bizarre, which allowed he's such the a right lovely wing. guy. Yeah. He seems like he's like one of what, like 10 decent English people right now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? One of about 10, 12, who knows? Um, Alan Moore is another one fucking you know whoever anybody who got arrested protesting the queen what you know those are the good english but um so that's the question that the parliamentary left is you know has to answer like what do you do about the fucking media honestly like you need to pass a media law you have to break them up you have to let them scream about their free speech you have to scream about their press freedoms tell them to get fucked like that seems to be a such a crucial crucial move yo um, Leroy, you might remember this. The moment that you just mentioned when I came back from from England, that was the genesis of this podcast. Yeah. Right? I tweeted something to the, the effect first, of... The first episode, yeah. Yes. I tweeted... When I came back, I tweeted something to the effect of seeing the media blackout uh, against Corbyn in England told me that we're wrong when we say there's too many podcasts. There's not enough podcasts. <laughs> we need more left-wing media. Much more left-wing media. Right? And that was what led Snowball into this. Uh, hold on, sorry. Let me say something real quick. Um, the uh, 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 yeah, like I, once again, when I look back to how Chavez was able to be successful in a lot of these different aspects, I mean, he went to war with a lot of the right wing media in Venezuela. That was, I feel like, one of the first big breaking points when you first really saw very nasty anti Chavez articles in the United States from like the bourgeois yeah. press, right? When he was battling with what was it, RCTV, right? Yeah. Um, and and sorry, I'm, I'm real quick, real quick. Um, and uh, the uh. Uh, and that, once again, that led to the rise of Telesaur, right? That exact calculation. We need more left-wing media, and Telesaur is now indispensable, at least in my opinion. Right now in Mexico, that is what AMLO is battling with, right-wing uh, hegemonic media, which is fucking attacking him relentlessly. All of them are. Castillo's battling Petro's battling it. Anyways, Leroy, please. Um, just a few things quickly on that. That's precisely why we say you gotta, we had to speak precisely and own like what you believe. So if people come out and call us, oh, you, you communists and that, whatever, it's like, correct. Like, you know what I mean? This is what I am. This is what I believe. They can say whatever, bro. Like, own your shit if that's what you are. Because no one cares if you're trying to get really, because no, I'm, I'm actually, you know, a um, libertarian socialist or whatever. You're all going to be the same. Just just own it. Um, but a bit tangential, um, that's precisely why South Africa, like apartheid South Africa, didn't have TV until 1976. 
like there were no TV broadcasts. TVs did not exist in apartheid South Africa until 1976, precisely because the fascist people in power understood the power of the media. And if like the wrong quote unquote people got on there, they could poison the minds and convince black people that they had some sort of agency or power. You know what I mean? But anyway, T. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Of course. Um, I, I don't know what you can do to, you know, cause it's one thing to ignore the, the U S media when you're in these countries it's another thing entirely when it's like the only thing around right you know the vast majority of people are not political everywhere the world over well they're political but in a they're everybody in the world is political but not everybody in the world is ideological right um so it leaves people very susceptible to these kind of uh you know the the propaganda campaigns i mean look at the united states even you know the breakdown in uh in, in regulation, in, in media regulation, in the United States directly led to the rise of right-wing talk radio, led to the rise yeah. of Rush Limbaugh and the enti- yeah. and Fox News, the 80s, CNN. Yeah. It led to the, the breakdown in media regulations that I believe, if correct, I, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, date from the New Deal era for similar reasons, yeah. right? Um, New Deal. Their breakdown led to the far-right media system that we have now which I mean, to pretend, I mean, the the right wing media has turned so many people's grandparents into like frothing lunatics. Like it's a common story. Like you hear really also the lead poisoning, like, but that's a different story. True, true. But like we have microplastics, we can't judge. Yeah, that's, that's um, twenty five percent of our blood is microplastics. We're like we're all walking great Pacific garbage patches. Um, but. Uh, that you know, you need media laws, and honestly, just let them scream about their freedom of the press, their free speech, or whatever. Who cares? I let them scream because if you can deliver, it doesn't matter. Dude, the last thing you said there is exactly what I was about to say, and then we can move on here. Which is, in many ways, the more I think about, it, I feel like in a lot of ways, Amlo is almost following like the Chavez playbook right now. In a lot of ways, which is to say, nationalizing industry. Investing in the public after nationalizing industry, making sure to communicate with the people as directly as possible, right? Amlo does daily fucking briefings in the mornings where he just talks to the press. Chavez used to do the same shit, right? He was but, on TV show. In, but, exactly. But yeah, Alo Presidente. I used to watch that shit. Yeah, but the uh, but Amlo, nationalizing energy, investing in the public. So that way two things happen when the public see this media onslaught. One these people are delivering it on changing my life. My life is improving materially. Fuck the media, right? And second of all, I heard him say this himself. I heard the president, right? Respond to whatever the fuck he's saying. So fuck the media. Anyways. That's yeah. real quick. I mean, that's literally what that happened in the United States. Yeah. In, in, in the thirties, every fucking newspaper in the United States hated FDR. Yeah. They hated FDR. They hated the new deal. They hated all of it didn't matter because they were delivering and FDR went around them with his fireside chats, right? He could, he was an excellent communicator that, you know, that's the thing about like some of the most effective leaders aren't even ones that are like great theoreticians or great engineers or great administrators. They're good communicators that, I mean, that was, that was Bernie's advantage in many ways. He was an excellent communicator in his own idiosyncratic way, right? Donald Trump is another one. Now, a lot of people don't think that of Donald Trump, right? But for his crowd, yeah. 
he worked him so well. I mean, this dude, he was a he was a TV guy. He know he knew what he was doing. His cadence, that was all TV speech. Ronald right? Reagan? Ronald Reagan, another great example, right? It's not just the 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 left wing that it's good communicators. Obama too, for the oh, centrists. Yeah. Obama was a phenomenal communicator, had great charisma. I mean, there was I I don't I I hardly can imagine I can think of someone who had in in American political life that has more charisma than Barack Obama did, right? It's it doesn't take, you know, your your leaders don't necessarily have to you might not even want your leader to be a great theoretician or anything like that. You might want your leader just to be a good communicator. So they're kind of the instruments of the theoreticians, of the working people and their militant struggle. But I'll stop now. We've gone on yeah, on this holy subject. Holy shit. How many times are we going to repeat each other? Because I'm about to repeat what the fuck you said, but in my own words now, which is uh, <laughs> something I used to always say to people to white, try to break through to white people is just think of Chavez as Venezuelan FDR. It's that simple, right? Yes, he's running endlessly. So did FDR, right? Yes, he's battling with the media. So did FDR, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but no, I totally echo what you said about being a communicator. Something, and I hate to like mention DSA or make things about DSA or whatever, but I always say this and will continue to say this. Anytime you will ever see the left wing of the that organization have any sort of success is when they communicate directly to the people, right? When you try and do things behind closed doors, that's when you get fucked over, right? And nobody stands yeah. up for you because they don't see what the fuck's happening. You have to communicate directly to the people, full stop. Speaking of lack of transparency, we move on to Puerto Rico. As I mentioned, actually, before that, biggest takeaway here is that we need more podcasts. You heard it here first. Anyway. Yeah, start your own if you're listening. Start your yeah. own on whatever subject. Just offer yeah. we'll start cooking from a left-wing perspective. I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. If us three chuckle fucks can, can do a show, you know, any fucking person can. Yeah, seriously. Um, anyway, back on track. Talking about lack of transparency. So we mentioned the Supreme Court case, um, U.S. Supreme Court case relating to La Junta. The you know the unelected, undemocratic, basically dictatorial board imposed on Puerto Rico by friend of the show Barack Obama, one of his last acts as president under the um, under Promesa. So basically, like I said, it's this unelected board that's been put in charge, basically of governing Puerto Rico, right? So every anytime we talk about elections, Puerto Rico, the governor, this and that, at the end of the day, the people that have power, are the people who are sitting on that board, right? So. The Institute for um, Investigative Journalism in Puerto Rico, they do a lot of, a lot of great work. They were basically suing the, you know, La Junta, that we call it like the, the, the Junta because they're basically a dictatorial junta, um, for the release of public records. Um, the, La Junta refused. Initially, um, it went up, I think initially, um, the ruling sided with La Junta, but then they went to an appeals court that sided with, you know, the Institute of Journalism, but then it went all the way to the top, to the Supreme Court. So basically, and they basically ruled with the board for a lot of legalese that is just um, bullshit. Um, I'll let you take it away because you you have the details on this. So, okay. So to be, let's, you know, kind of start from the beginning a little bit. now, CPI, the invest the nonprofit investigative uh, organization in Puerto Rico, does a lot of really good work with. Um, think of them as a giant 
organization of Ken Klippensteins, okay? So they FOIA, essentially FOIA, it's not technically FOIA, but it is, Puerto Rico has very strong transparency laws when it comes to public documents. Essentially, if you request a public document from Puerto Rico, they're required to give it to you, okay? So CPI has been essentially, has been doggedly pursuing La Junta's um, like internal doc, you know, documents related to them and they have turned over thousands but there was also thousands that they've not turned over so this is the origins of the suit so it the supreme court case itself kind of hinged on uh and it was it was the pro you know the fiscal control board versus cpi that was the name of the court case and it happened and the decision was uh released publicly about a month ago i want to say um but it hinged on a very weird kind of like common law doctrine which is called sovereign immunity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sovereign immunity essentially is the doctrine that a that a government cannot be sued without its own consent because a government ostensibly is the source of the authority for those courts, right? If that sounds like dumb bullshit and vaguely English, you're right. It's, it's dumb, dumb bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and it is and it and it's English, right? Um, it, it makes a kind of sense to it. Like, yeah, where would a court get its authority for from it beyond the guns that the government provides it? But governments will often consent to uh, be sued, right? Especially in the United States, especially like it's tort related, right? Workplace injuries, you know, in the bureaucracy, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, so basically, La Junta was claiming that they held sovereign immunity, and because of that, the case should just be dismissed, right? CPI argued that, well, this question is unclear, right? Puerto Rico as a territory doesn't really have the kind of sovereign immunity, or it, it theoretically does or doesn't. The question isn't clear, which is what was said in Alega Kagan, who wrote the majority opinion. Let me add, everybody voted in favor, except for Clarence Thomas, who dissented for weird asshole reasons. Um... Now, they basically said that um, Kagan's argument was that that La Junta did have sovereign immunity, that um, and thus the case should be dismissed, ruling against CPI. Now, in her argument, in in her majority opinion, she talks about how the status is kind of murky, kind of vague. Hmm, I wonder why, um, because. Often enough, at least in the first circuit, first circuit and in the Supreme Court, Puerto Rico is often treated like a state, right? Legally, it is tr- that those are the words used oftentimes in commentary about this. Puerto Rico is legally treated like a state, but is it? No, it's a territory, which is why CPI was arguing that uh, La Junta did not have the sovereign immunity because Puerto Rico was a, was a territory. Um, now, what's funny about this is that. Where the, then where does the sovereign immunity come from? Because if La Junta is part of the Puerto Rican government, the Puerto Rican constitution presumably would apply to here, right? Which would mean that basically this case would be accepted by Puerto Rican courts. However, it is now argued that because Puerto Rico is treated like a state, at least at the Supreme Court level, all the case precedents was in favor of granting... Uh, the Puerto Rican government's sovereign immunity to uh, La Junta. Now, the reason I kind of went like this and went in detail like this, are you confused? Do you feel zit dizzy? You should. You should be dizzy because this is very confusing. Bro, um, I, fell, I fell asleep. 
I'm sure you did. And I apologize to the, to the listeners for that. And I'm not even a lawyer. I'm probably getting details wrong. I admit that. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that to go to zoom out, zoom out a bit, Puerto Rico is treated like a, Puerto Rico is whatever the United States government wants it to be. Okay. (laughs) If it serves the interests of the U S state for Puerto Rico to be treated like one of the 50, it will be treated like one of the 50. When Puerto Rico best serves the U S government and our own capitalists by being treated as just a, a fucking territory or nothing, it will be treated as less than a territory, right? Because the point is Puerto Rico does not have sovereignty, right? It's funny that this, this arguments about sovereign immunity when sovereignty really is the question. How can anybody, Puerto Rico doesn't have a government. Puerto Rico's government is La Junta. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick. Um, to me, Puerto Rico, in this case in particular, is one of the greatest examples of the simple truth, which is nothing is real. Rules aren't right. Rules aren't real, right? Because the fact of the matter is that it is baked into the consciousness of everybody in the United States. It is baked into the essence of United States jurisprudence that the United States is a democracy that doesn't have colonies. So when it comes to grips with the fact, or when it comes with a case that deals with a literal col- a literal colony, reality merely bends to fit the U.S. exceptionalist narrative, right? The fact of the United States having a colony bends into the reality of no the united states is a beacon of freedom and democracy since that is by definition true well this isn't a colony so fuck you we can say whatever we want right once again nothing is real rules aren't real everything exists only as long as we believe in it no one thousand percent and that's exactly what i was going like this is a broader conversation because i think we were talking off like before we press record that we kind of agreed that if you follow the law and the way it's written, this was the correct decision because that's how the law is written. But in saying that this is just, this is an example of colonialism. Like this, these colonial laws are put in place for this decision to come from it. If that makes sense. And Kagan noted in, in her, in the majority opinion that the question of what Puerto Rico sovereign immunity is, is unclear. It's unclear in the existing case law, right? So this goes more to this goes towards the fact that like it's just it's whatever the law isn't real. It's fake, as you said, Austin. Um, you know, technically, you know the the precise reasoning, as you say, Leroy. According to the law, this was the correct quote unquote decision because um, in the law that was passed in Promesa. Uh, Congress had to specifically, and this was uh, La Junta's argument, uh, had to specifically state that sovereign immunity was voided, that sovereign immunity uh, could could not be invoked in cases like this because because by the letter of the law, the Promesa law, there are a couple of specific situations and specific uh, instances where sovereign immunity is voided. So they took a very narrow reading of the law to essentially to shield the fiscal control board, right? With fiscal again, fiscal control board, La Junta, same thing. Um, and again, so it has nothing to do with what's best for Puerto Ricans. The La Junta's operated in the darkness. It has full authority to completely change anything they want, uh, economically speaking, which again is the root of it all. Um, 
this ruling just shields them for, for, from further accountability. Now, Clarence Thomas did dissent precisely because Puerto Rico's status and, uh, and Puerto Rico's sovereign immunity is, is questionable. His argument essentially boils down to, well, if La Junta is claiming sovereign immunity, the burden of proof on them is proving that they have sovereign immunity. The subtext there is that Clarence Thomas is kind of assholing himself into uh, opposing La Junta, right? This is a classic right wing thing, which is to asshole yourself into something. Um, they, you know, he, he's basically arguing that the subtext there is that Puerto Rico has no power, that there any legal authority that in Puerto Rico flows from the United States. Um, so it, it, it is incumbent upon La Junta to prove uh, that it, it has uh, authority flowing to it from the United States because is it part of the Puerto Rican government or isn't it? La Junta claims it is part of the Puerto Rican government. Well, if it is part of the Puerto Rican government, it is a it is even more anti-democratic than the Supreme Court is in the United States. Yeah, yeah. If that's the case. Yeah. There is a reason. There is a reason that they're calling these this these last few Supreme Court cases the new insular cases. There is a reason it's they're getting that nickname. People are uh, saying uh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. my God, Jesus! Where the fuck have I been? And like another Supreme Court case, so just another cherry on top of the colonial cake of that's Puerto Rico, is um last year there was that ruling that basically had this um, so basically in Puerto Rico people aren't don't have access, don't have the right to the full benefits of like certain like social programs, like um especially for like disabled people. There's this Puerto Rican guy, um, born and raised in Puerto Rico, ended up moving to the United States. He got really, really sick. He was getting these benefits while living in New York. As he got older, he wanted to move back. Um, he was still sick. He was still claiming it. And then when they realized that he was back in Puerto Rico, that they not only cut off those benefits, they were trying to make him pay back like thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of dollars. And Fucking of course. Yeah. And he was saying like, hey, like, like what the fuck? Like, ostensibly i'm a u.s citizen right i lived in the united states on the you know the metropole for years and years and years i was getting these benefits but now because i'm back in puerto rico i don't get them and the court's like yeah they ruled in favor of quote-unquote the law because that's what the law stipulates and that's what the law has been saying for decades um right it's, it's, Again, it's not real because, everything's real because puerto rico status is whatever best suits the U.S. state, right? That's the long and short of it. Puerto Rico will be treated as a state if it suits the upper class, the ruling class in the United States. Puerto Rico will be treated as less than a territory if that's what suits the United States. That's the pro. That's you know this is this is the elephant in the room that no one wants to fucking grapple with. We do. So we're getting on the hour mark, right? Getting on the hour mark here. But I think we'd be remiss without, as we're discussing Puerto Rico, discussing some of the other related news in Puerto Rico, which is what, like a couple of weeks ago, Peep and NBC came out saying that they were going to do, trying to pursue a fusion ticket, right? Which we've yeah. talked about that a lot in the past, right? We talk about the status. We talk about Puerto Rico. Those elections next year, they're going to be fascinating. And hey! Am I about to say what I'm about to say? Yeah, I'm about to say what I'm about to say. Yeah, you're about to fucking say. Very recently, Juan Del Mal got the Austin G bump, baby. He got <laughs> the Austin G bump. Hey, Castillo got the Austin G bump, and we'll we'll talk about that and how that ended. But he got elected. <laughs> he got elected. 
Maduro got the Austin G bump. He's still president, right? Right, of course. Many. I have a good track record here, guys. I've never fist bumped a a head of state candidate who didn't win, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, anyways, what I am referencing is that, uh, yeah, like, uh, which I think is news in and of itself. Dow Mao, the leader of Peep, the Independence Party, was in Washington D.C. doing lobbying. Right? This is something we talk about all the time. How Peep and the Independence Movement have to get more active in the diaspora and in Washington D.C. in particular, and they're starting to do it, which is amazing. Um, I think. Oh God, it's too early for, and it's too early and too late, as in too late in the podcast to talk about the next year's elections in Puerto Rico. But God damn, like who the fuck? Anything's on the table. I really feel like anything is on the fucking table. If there's a fusion you know, ticket, we, that is. We might we might have some guests, you know, in the near future that could help us uh, oh, kind yeah. of like go into detail about like what this could mean because this is a tremendous thing. That you know an alliance between NBC and the peep uh, has a lot of potential. There. There's a lot of potential pitfalls too, of course. Um, but it's a very hopeful, it's a, it's a very hopeful kind of uh, bit of news. And also, you know, heart goes out in solidarity for, for the people in the islands dealing with like yeah. the worst heat waves in its history. Yeah. No, that's exactly where I was going. Like there was maps showing that, in my hometown of Aguadilla, it was like 115 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. And like, and even like in the center of the island where it's mountainous, so it doesn't get as hot, um, it'll reach like the 80s or whatever. Even there, it was like in, in, the, in the hundreds, right? Um, which is very scary because obviously it's a tropical island in the Caribbean. It gets hot, it gets humid. But because of how it's situated, like it's, there's like sort of checks and balances on that. So like you have the nice breeze, so it cools everything down. Um but that's not happening. Waters of the like the, of the jet stream are all over the place, coupled with um, something we talked about before, like the Sahara sands that are going over Puerto Rico. That happens every year. All that's come together to have like record temperatures off the chart, like never been seen before. And to make matters worse, and so another thing we always talk about is the lack of the integrity of the electrical grid in Puerto Rico, right? So you have an aging population, a very medically ne- needy population that needs the refrigeration for their medicines, for their insulin, for all the stuff to cool their fucking food. You know what I mean? Like it's it's already hot enough. It's already hard enough. And then this is on this is on top of that, right? Um, but to kind of you know, put that on the theme of this segment. We're talking about Puerto Rico being treated like a state or not. I can guarantee you this is one of those situations where Puerto Rico will not be treated like a state and receive the federal help that they will need because that's one of those things that we've seen time and time again where the federal government would just wash its hands like, oh, well, you know, I don't know what's going on. That's a good time as any to wrap it up, ending on our yeah. beloved homeland of Puerto Rico. Ending on a um, dark note, though. Goddamn. On a dark note, but look, it, it is what it is, man. Like, Not necessarily. Where was the I mean, optimism? The peep it, and MVC. Yeah. Is that what we ended on? Yeah, we, okay. All right. we, ended, we ended on homework. We ended on, on things for people to contemplate and to um, educate themselves and put into there action. I like yeah. that. Good shit, Leroy. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being patient with us and us doing us and 
taking these unplanned hiatuses. Hopefully, 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 hopefully we'll be able to get on track. Um, but life is life. We live in this um, ultra-capitalist hellscape, um, also confined by the um, the bounds of, of time zones. But as we know, time isn't real, so it's all bullshit. But after True. the revolution, we'll get rid of the concept of time. Um, That's right. But, it, but we live in this reality. So if you want to make that happen, show us some support Show us some solidarity. You like that segue? On our Patreon, patreon.com slash machete mate. A little bit goes a long way. Tell your friends, tell your families, tell your enemies as well. Start a podcast of yourself. Mention us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, bring us on your show. Let us talk about whatever. Like We'll go on cooking shows. We'll go on whatever you want to talk about, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. With that said, thanks for tuning in and be safe, everybody, in the affected areas of impending climate collapse. And see you all next time. Yeah. That's the and, there will be a ne- and there will be a next time, we promise. Y'all ain't never going to shut the three of us up. Peace. That's the Victoria. Mi gente, thank you for listening to this edition of Machete Mate. If you support what we do, consider showing your solidarity at patreon.com slash machete mate. You'll be helping us out by allowing us to put out more and better content while also getting access to our Discord community, our more casual and personal After Dark episodes, and any other projects we might have down the road. If not, we still love you, so show us some love with a good rating review on whatever platform you spend time with us. And as always, hasta la victoria.